Matt Rochford. David Kalina. Are you up to date? Have you have you watched all of the tennis? Completed all of the matches? No, I haven't watched it. I have not completed all of the matches. But I have I am up to date with the results. Okay. Yeah. So you, did did you watch the women's doubles final by any chance? No. I didn't. I watched the mixed doubles final though. Yeah, that was I think I caught that as well. That was that was exciting. Right, Andreescu was in a, in another final. You had both Andreescu and Leila Fernandez in finals and doubles. Yeah, we did. Um, but it was Shay Suwei who won the who won another doubles crown after just coming back. Yeah, which was pretty impressive, and uh, but I really like the team of. Uh, Lay and Tay. Lay and Tay, yeah. Layla, Layla Fernandez and Taylor Townsend playing going up against Shea. Lay Tay and Shea. And Wong. They had a great and Wong as well. Let's not forget Wong. Um yeah, great run from Townsend and Fernandez. Lay and Tay. Yeah, I guess they, they this was not their first time playing together either. They've been they've been teaming up a bit, so like a pretty legit doubles team and they they dominated the first set like taylor townsend was all over the place just dominating but mm. they kind of lost their grip a little bit yeah and i think uh shay's craftiness kind of kind of won the day do you tend to watch the matches if you know the results no once i know the result i'm not gonna watch yeah yeah. So you know what happened in the men's final. I do. Yeah. Um, I was out, so I was looking at the scores. Um, I saw Rude go up a break early in the third, in the first set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was up three love. And and then I think he it was four two as well. It means he helped consolidated that break. Yeah. Held it. I for saw a that. And then it was like. 7-6 with 7-1 in the tiebreaker and he was up in the second as well and I was like oh, I am a fool for thinking that 3-love <laughs> scoreline meant anything yeah for real I, I just had no doubt in my mind I remember watching two years ago in fact when Djokovic was playing Tsitsipas and Tsitsipas got a two set lead and I still I just was like Novak's gonna yep. win I just had no yep. doubt he finds a way over five sets. Yeah. Yeah, so at the end of the match, Novak Djokovic goes up to his box, greets everybody. He's handed this sweater with uh, the number 23 embroidered in the uh, on the breast, like made out of little Lacoste uh, tigers, actually. It's, it's, uh, it's an odd one. I, I can't seem to find one available for purchase online yet. Um, and they also handed him a giant wooden spoon so he could go down to the court and dig up a layer of topsoil and crushed brick and eat eat the dirt. <laughs> I heard eat the dirt and before that the embroidered tigers, but I think you meant crocodiles, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it's crocodiles. I have I have some animal recognition cognition problems. Apologies. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no. Um, that was, yeah, that, that was something Lacoste made especially for the occasion. I thought that was a nice touch. The, the 23. Yeah, I just felt like it was, it was like a little, like I don't mind the gesture in general, but like, yeah, it just didn't, it didn't look all that amazing. I thought it was, it was a little, little tacky in a way. It also kind of looks like he's, it's got this like checker, check mark, um, like grid pattern. It looks kind of like a Spider Man outfit a little bit. Mm hmm. But he is kind of like Spider Man, I guess. Yeah, he is. We've seen the memes. Um, do you know that all the play, all the finalists get um, for doubles and singles, they get their own personalized towel that has like I didn't know that their names, their names stitched into the towels. That's pretty cool. And the ball kids present them to the mm. at the beginning of the match. I wonder if they get any other yeah. like uh home homeware stuff or like you know toiletries maybe they they can kind of you know decorate a guest house. I was thinking about how Casper Rude is going to use all of his trays. <laughs> He's got a lot of trays. <laughs> three he three trays yeah. and counting for good old Casper. Is it three? So he he lost the French Open final last year as well. Yeah, Rafa beat him pretty badly. So you got beaten badly by Rafa and Djokovic. That's, I mean, kudos for getting to the final, but um, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much what one would expect. And then he lost to Alcaraz in the other, so it's not like he's losing a slouches. No. I think, you know, there's this whole class of people who are, you know, they're, the pinnacle of their career will be losing to one of these guys in the final. And, you know, Rude certainly is young enough, he's steady enough, it seems like, you know, it, it, it's just, you just got to wait for these guys to retire. I mean, Novak, Novak in the post-match speech ceremony, you know, he he turns to Casper and he's like, you know, a lot of the time the victor, you know, goes on this thing about how, like, I know you're going to win one of these one day, you know, mm. like chin up. In this yeah. case, he didn't, he didn't actually say a word about Rude's tennis, he just said, he went on this whole thing about how like Rude was just like genuinely like one of the nicest, best people on tour. That his family, his team were always very respectful to him and his team, and he's just a really good person and deserves our respect for that. Um, okay. But I also thought it was a little damning that he didn't actually address his tennis. And he's like, I, you know, I ho perhaps you can win one of these one day as long as it's not against me. I'll, I'll be rooting for you. So if I go out early, you'll have a chance. <laughs> that was his, yeah. His Assuming Alcaraz is also injured. Uh, yeah. Did you watch that one? Uh, I did. Not all of it, but I saw some of the best moments. I think the second set, um, and maybe the end of the first set, the beginning of the second set, and or all of the second set. Kind of a bit yeah. of the a bit of the third set, but then I, and it was still tight there. But um, but I fell asleep. You fell asleep, and then Alcaraz yeah. fell apart right about yeah, the same I, time. Exactly. Yeah. So, 
So it seems like he Alcaraz had physical problems. He cramps and stuff. Yeah. Which they, they call a loss of condition. So you can't get a medical timeout. So it actually had happened early in one of his service games. He had to kind of he had to donate the game. Like there there was some weird application of a rule where like he had thirty five sec every thirty five seconds he would lose serve. Um so, but he just elected to have enough treatment that it's just like, okay, like, we'll just, you treat me to the changeover, but I'm basically donating a break. And he, he couldn't move after that. And, you know, there was sort of this faint hope that, well, if he can get through the set, you know, 20 minutes, get a little more treatment, maybe he can come back and, you know, sometimes people do recover from cramp, but it was not to be, it was just kind of a long, sad, you know, march. Mm. For Novak, he never did come back, but he he still won a couple of games because the lot the set four yeah. and five was six one six one, three and four yeah it's six one six one. Oh, three and four of course he didn't go five sets. Yeah, um, I can't remember if they won him on his serve or not, but you know he was winning some points. I mean he was just going for it every time, right? So yeah, couldn't really move. Mm. But yeah, it was a bummer. It was really like it was shaping up to be potentially a classic you know that second set reminded me of the second set with with rafa and novak a couple years ago where novak beat him and they played this epic uh just an epic second set and the level was never quite as high but it was a proper match and yeah um, it was the hitting was they were just hitting so hard to each other yeah it was amazing and like Novak, like he's his defense, you know, it's like Alcaraz can really turn up the heat. He can hit, he can hit forehands over 100 miles per hour and they just nobody can catch up to them. But Novak somehow like braces himself and sticks his arm out and gets the ball back like with pace. It's mm. so it must have been like really challenging for Alcaraz not being used to anybody kind of standing up and pushing back against him. Like he he kind of humiliated Tsitsipas in the match prior. Yeah. Yeah, and Alcaraz's defense is pretty good too. Yeah. There's really no holes there. It just felt like it was interesting because I don't think of him as also a person who struggles with fitness. He seems like he's supremely fit, but this is like he's had cramp problems a few times. So whether it was the stress or the conditions or. Uh, but he's 20 years old. You know, there was a time when Novak Djokovic was young, that he retired from a match. And I think that was, I, I'm, I need to look up the actual history on it because apparently it was kind of embarrassing to him. And I think he got booed for it and like, and he just vowed to never have that happen again. You know, and like started taking his, his health and fitness, like, you know, seriously to a sociopathic kind of degree. And, um, that's my thing about Alcaraz right now is I'm like, he absolutely has the skill without question to be in the class with these guys with the big three. Like he is, I actually believe he's on that level potentially, but I wonder if he has the maniacal intensity required. Like if he's enough of a killer, he's, he like almost seems to enjoy himself too much. And that's okay, yeah. by the way, I don't think he doesn't need to win 25 grand slams. Like, but yeah, no, he he maybe that's a good point. Like you have to make a lot of sacrifices, and he, 
that's something I would respect or like to see of a player if they, instead of sacrificing life for titles, you sacrifice titles for life. Right. Uh, you can still be on tour and win tournaments and be awesome. Yeah. But, may but maybe you don't care about, like, doing every tiny little thing. Um, yeah, like, it seems like Novak and Rafa, in particular, were so driven to keep pushing and to keep outdoing one another and to, like, end their careers on top. Like, I think for Novak, it seems really important. And he's he's okay with that. That's who he is. And, you know, I, I feel like with Rafa, there's a little bit more of more deflection. Like Novak, I think, has become pretty comfortable just being that way. And then well, another thing in his post-match speech today was, you know, he kind of he does this almost every time where he goes, he addresses his box and he like kind of apologizes to them in a way. And he says, like, I know I'm really difficult to deal with, um, but I really appreciate that you stand, you know, you stay with me. And he talks about the sacrifices that he has to make. So yeah, I would I would like to see somebody who just decides to prioritize other things, you know, but can still achieve. But you know, how important are these records really? How important is it to be unequivocally the greatest? Like, will will Novak even ever be a uh, thought of that way? There will always be people who advocate for the others. There will be, but. Um... He's to he's turned a new page. I think you look at the the tennis writers today. Christopher Clary has called him the greatest of all time. Um, in his, I just subscribed to his new newsletter. Um, yeah, and so he's twenty three Grand Slams, more than any other player. Um. He also has won now three, at least three slams, three of each slam. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And he's won at tied Serena. Sorry, Serena. Yeah, uh, he's tied tied Serena Williams for like total slam count. So he's. Oh yeah, he's creeping up on court. No, sorry. So he, he isn't the greatest. He hasn't got the most. Maybe that that's another. When he has when he has more than Serena, that'll be another milestone for him. But yeah, I think it's definitely a case like you know it's slightly different time periods, and you can always make the case, and it's not a perfect measurement. Um, but yeah, I'm I have no problem people calling him the greatest of all time. I'm not going to be like, no, it should be Nadal or it should be Federer. Um, I won't go out there and say that Djokovic, sh like I won't advocate for that because I don't care. <laughs> and there are, there are too many variables and they're just, you know, I think it's what the, the, the main thing is that the three players all coexisted and they all won an insane amount of titles and they're all different um, and they're all extremely dominant. But yeah, there's a special, yeah, there's a special, um, gloss on Djokovic that you can't you, the others don't have now yeah he's beaten 
Roger at Wimbledon multiple times. He's beaten Rafa at Roland Garros twice, which nobody else has ever done. You know, right? It's like he has he has an edge in a bunch of different ways. I think his head to head is winning against both of them. He, he's won twenty of the last twenty one major semifinals he's been in, which is insane. His he's just. He has more quarterfinal appearances at Roland Garros than Nadal. No kidding. Yeah. And he started afterwards too, right? Right. So that's that's very that's real consistency there. Yeah. He's he's pretty special. I think it's maybe seventeen quarterfinals and like Nadal's maybe got sixteen, something like that. Yeah, he's won 14 of the tournaments, but gotten to the quarters or better 16 times. That makes sense. That tracks. Withdrew once, missed this year. Yep. Lost twice. Yeah, lost three times. Twice to Novak, once to... Um, uh, Soderling. Yes. Robin Soderling. Who Federer beat in the final. Mm-hmm. Yep, lots of lots of dirt for Novak to eat. Uh, I mentioned Tsitsipas before, and you know we're talking about kind of like sociopathy and whether you know somebody could be too happy. Have you, have you been following uh, Tsitsidosa? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I read a, I read a stupid article about all everyone all over the globe. Um getting sick of their social media after two days of <laughs> them announcing their relationship. I mean, I, I mean, it must just be because I like Steph, but like, I find it really heartwarming in a way. He seemed like a guy who was kind of lonely. And I, there's something about it, though, that seems a little like put on, you know, somebody I was listening to the tennis podcast today and they were wondering like, who's taking all the footage in the CC Dosa Instagram account? <laughs> Cause there's always somebody filming them. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they each have a whole team. <laughs> yeah. Um, they can, they've got it. They've each got a whole staff that they can call on. You know, it is. I think it is. In I used to be really. Um, I thought you shouldn't include your partner in your social media profiles and do that kind of stuff. But then I realized that it's actually nice to include. You know, to be. Um, to celebrate uh, someone who, who you're with and be public and about it. It means the other person feels loved and accepted by you. And Right. Um, but yeah, this does seem a little like, like make immediately coming up with joint Instagram accounts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like Gem's life. They're like, why don't we do like a gems life thing? Yeah, and it, it could be, you know, they're both like worth a lot of money 
and they um are they both like thinking like this is a career move for us you know like we could get more sponsorship we could like you know our personal fame we could um kind of cohere it together and maybe if we put my star power and your star power together it might Yeah, explode there's a possibility there. I, I also like, I mean, this is just me being slightly cynical about it. Like, I wonder if there's the, the performative nature of it. There's something else going on. Like, you know, Bedosa just broke up with her model boyfriend who was there for her. Like, he's a presence in the Netflix documentary. He was in the box Mm. all the time. Like, they just broke up. So for her to go from that and then immediately start running around with Steph and like, getting The poor cozy model with boyfriend. Steph. I know. You have to It, see it is all the of thing. this. This is the thing about sharing, like, especially when you're young and you're in these relationships and you're not necessarily serious yet. And it's hard to know. I mean, but they've only, they've only been with each other for a few weeks, right? So how serious can you really be? But like when you start sharing content that involves somebody you're dating and like oh i love this person they're amazing they're my best friend whatever and then you break up it's like that's its own public story and it can be totally humiliating to go through that Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's right. Because then you go like, I look like such an idiot. Uh, you invite people to come on to like make judgments about. Uh, yeah, you're in love with them now, but is it gonna last? And haha, you, I was right. <laughs> it wasn't gonna last. It's. Yeah, oh, it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had an ex who like started posting pictures of us and I was not expecting it. And it it did it moved me at the time. Like I was really like I did I felt seen. I felt like Mm, yeah. she wanted her friends to know about me like and sometimes you're you know early early days of dating you're not you're not so sure like you know there's there's an instability in the early parts of of most relationships and so it felt really special but then you know when she broke up with me it was like it, there was a dissonance about it i was like i don't understand how you could have been like that and now you're like this and Um, but anyway, I mean, I feel like Steph, I mean, he's, he's clearly, I, I've speculated before that I think he might be a little bit on the spectrum. I think he's, he's like, socially is a little bit different. And, you know, it turns some people off, like, he kind of rambles, he's, he doesn't like think linearly in the way a lot of people do. Um, so that's part of why I felt like he's kind of lonely. And when he was getting beaten by Alcaraz, He looked bad. Like he looked like he looked like he was suffering in a way that, you know, like, like, how do you recover from that? You're getting this kid's younger than you. You were the chosen one. You were supposed to be the great next champion. And it's like, you can't even hang with this kid. And, and then like Tsitsi Dosa like happens like the next day. I'm like, well, I mean, that's good. I mean, I hope it's real, you know, I, hope, I mean, and they're, but they're both beautiful. Like it's, You mean aesthetically? Aesthetically, I think both Bedosa and Tsitsipas are beautiful human beings. And we've talked about like not, you know, like I, I don't want to like objectify people on the podcast and we don't. Oh, no, no. I think we can do that. <laughs> well, or, you know, 
I just think it's uncool to be like, oh, let's talk about like, like we're not going to talk about who we think the hottest people on tour are. But there's something about these two beautiful people being together. It makes it easier to talk about their beauty, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, if uh, yeah, it, we're talking about them together. That's yeah, not in competition with other people. They just happen to be. Yeah, in relation to each other, like how like sometimes dogs look like their owners. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's almost and there's almost some similarity in their like career arcs. I mean, I think Steph's gone further. You know, he's gone to Slam Finals. He's he's gotten higher in the rankings, but Bedosa's won some Masters events. I think she, I don't remember if she won Indian Wells or something. Like she seemed like she was right there. People were picking her to win slams, and she mm. hasn't done it. So there's like a little bit of like they're like both vaguely disappointing as tennis players based on the expectations people have for them. Yes, so I wonder. I think they could probably relate to each other about that, right? Like dealing with that pressure, right? Yeah, and then they can give each other the recognition that they haven't achieved on the tennis court and seek it out through their relationship and their social media. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm rooting for them. I hope they have a long and fruitful Instagram partnership. Well, it's good for us if they do. It's good content <laughs> for us. Who was it? I think maybe Al shared it. Uh, shared the news with us for the first time. I don't know. A long time ago, I found this, like, there's like a website, like womenstennisblog.com or something. And it's just like a running log of every relationship that's ever happened in the tennis world. You know, like anytime a tennis player gets together with a famous person, a coach or another tennis player, it's like, it's just listed. And there's oh, pictures. Wow. It's great. Great content. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. Um, you know, one controversy, just to get back to the tennis briefly, and I promise we can we can get back to relationship intrigue very soon, but um, in the mixed doubles, we had um, that third round match between Miyu Kato of Japan and her partner, Aldila Suciati of Indonesia, doubles specialists, and they were playing against Buzkova, Maria Buzkova of the Czech Republic, and Sara Sorribes Tormo of Spain, and um, lost the first set, were up a break in the second set, and um, at the end of a point, it's on Sorribes Tormo and uh, Buzkova's serve. Kato has a ball at the net, passes it back um with a one hand backhand to the to the ball kid and it, the ball kid had two balls in her hand didn't she saw the ball late and so it hit her on the neck and not too hard but she had a panic attack and mm. um it ends ends up with uh, a disqualification for Qatar. Yep. And they they lose all their points and prize money and get disqualified from the women's doubles. And it was yep. it was initially just called 
a um, warning, which I don't even think it should have been a warning, but um, right because there's nothing wrong. Like it's part of the game. You know how like yeah. you hit a ball, like if it if a ball's in play, right? It's maybe at the end of your range. You hit it, but it it flies, you know, to the side and hits a ball kid or hits someone in the spe- spectator. Doesn't matter how hard you hit it or what the damage done. It, it's not you're not going to get a warning, right? Because there was no intent, right? You were just going for your shot, and it was an accident. Yeah, I think like the case for being like, well, passing the ball to the ball kids is part of the game as well. A hundred percent. Anyway, like the the sad part was is that the opponents, Buskiver and Soribus Tuomo, didn't see the thing, didn't see the incident. But when they saw the ball kid crying, because the really unfortunate part is the ball kid had a panic attack, started yeah. crying, couldn't really control herself. I saw it, you know, she's kind of like kind of shaking her head, saying like, "Don't worry about it." To the to the to Kato, but um, you know, she just she got upset and. Um, yeah, the opponents are saying this is a default. Look at look look at the player. Look, look at the ball kid crying. Did they say that? Like, I was I wasn't clear on that. You there's I saw some video of them talking to the umpire, but I I wasn't sure. It sounded like the story afterwards was that they were advocating for a default, which I think is super fucked up and unsporting. Um, and just on its own, taking their involvement out, like the the whole situation to me. It's clearly unjust. It's just as you're saying, like if, if people are on the court and playing an official role, they have to be responsible for their own bodies. And like I, I do look, I do think there's a difference if somebody like in anger, Sasha Zverev, like decides to smash his racket like against the back wall and it ricochets off something and hits a kid. That's different. But this was like a lobbed, gentle, I'm hitting the ball into like exactly the place where it's supposed to go, which is the ball kid's hands mm. and to get disqualified for that and lose your points and money is, was insane. I mean, infuriating. And most of the tennis world seemed to feel that way. Yeah. So, oh, so yeah, everyone, the, the interesting thing about it was it was so clearly unjust um, that everyone did get behind Kato and Suchiati. Um to the point where I was watching, I actually watched Soribus Tornmo and Buskova's next match. They played against Ellen Perez, almost mm. friend of the pod, <laughs> um, and uh, Nicole Melichar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really rooting for the other pair because I wanted them. I didn't want them to go on further in the doubles right. tournament after after winning in that way. So I looked at the Instagram comments after with some Perez and. Melichar did win. Um, they were like, "You did it! You did it for the tennis world for fair play. Well done!" Like there were so many positive comments of people wanting <laughs> Perez and Melichar to 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 beat Buzkova and Sturius Tornmore because, um, yeah, just the sense of fair play. They were definitely advocating for their opponents to be for something more to happen because the warning had been given. They were up mm. at the chair. Uh, up at the chair and they were saying but look at her she's crying call a supervisor and stuff like that so but the the final chapter in this all is that um kato and sujiadi end up playing each other 
in the mixed doubles final, uh, semi-final. Yeah. And um, and then Kato, the one who who hit the ball, wins the whole thing. Yeah, with, that was a beautiful redemption arc there for Kato. Was awesome. Yeah. And she, it, interestingly, in the end, the whole thing raised her profile quite a bit. Like she was yeah. not a very well-known doubles player. You have to be a pretty serious doubles tragic to have seen her play at the Australian Open earlier this year, for example. Uh, and, and remembered <laughs> against, her, which which you did. I didn't really remember. <laughs> against Pagula and Goff. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, so the whole thing raised her profile. She had everybody behind her back, like... Um, you know, Michael Venus like was behind her the whole way, her her mixed doubles partner. No, no, Venus didn't play with her. It was Tim Tim oh. Puts. Oh, it's Puts. Michael Venus played with BB. Right. He was BB. Yeah. yeah. Um, My bad. Bianca Bianca Venusa. Yeah. We call that team. Or or Vivi. Vivi? Yeah, like Venus. Oh yeah, Vivi. Yeah, Vivi. Yeah, yeah, Vivi. <laughs> Um, I definitely I got some real enjoyment out of watching doubles this time, but more for the interactions than for the, the play. Like it, for for me, like seeing Andreescu, who's you know she like has these moments and singles where she looks like she's coming back, and then she she ended up losing in I think the third round six one six one, um, to somebody who I think retired against Shriantek in the fourth. Anyway, like. I'd never seen Andreescu play doubles before, and it was so fascinating to watch her interact with another human right in front of her. We get to know these tennis players from this distance where their only interactions with other people are like towards their box, towards the chair, mm. you know, and internal, like very much themselves. And, you know, Bibi is a very expressive person. You can like really read her body language. She, she lets you know how she's feeling. But watching her with Michael Venus like the way they communicate, the way she go up and talk to him with, you know, or, you know, trying to disguise her, her speech. Like it just, it's a, it, it gives you more of an idea of like how a person is to see them actually interact with another person in that way. Mm. Yeah. I enjoyed that too. I thought um, Venus and Andreescu were like really positive with each other it's good to see in doubles the, the interactions as you say because you can you really got to keep the positivity going yeah like it makes such a difference if you lose a point to get ready and play the next point positive um yeah because if you're just on your heels a little bit for the return you know it doesn't give you the best chance of getting the ball in play it doesn't give you the like the drive to be coming to the net and trying to dominate dominate that center space, you know, like it's and it's very subtle and the ball moves so quickly in mm. in doubles more than singles because you know mm. the distances are shorter, especially with with the player at the net. So you you got to keep the positivity up. You got to keep the vibes up. And that means yeah. there's always one player who's going to be disappointed because they made the error or whatever, and and then the the other one has to has to pick them up. Yeah, and uh, yeah, in singles, you're you're 
you're out there by yourself. I mean, now the coaches can talk to you, like your box can talk to you and give you some support, but to have that right there with, have somebody in it with you, like mm. they win or lose with you. Um, I, there was a really touching scene actually, uh, after Taylor Townsend and Layla Fernandez lost the, their doubles final today where, um, uh, Layla was actually quite despondent. She was really upset. I think she was blaming herself. And Taylor, who's, you know, I guess a, l- a little bit older than Layla. Mm. Um, I mean, she's a mom. She she was like, Layla's like sitting down, like kind of, you know, head in her hands. And Taylor is like standing above her, like talking really directly to her, like reassuring her, like telling her. It's okay. It's not your fault. Like, you know, like really giving her a serious stern pep talk. Mm. Um, it was very interesting to see. Um, and then like, you know, big hug afterwards, like a lot of caring. And um, Layla does seem like somebody who's maybe gets down on herself quite a bit. You know, she had such a big meteoric rise, you know, getting into that U.S. Open final. But the results haven't been so great for her since in singles. So here she is in doubles with a chance, you know, two singles players kind of playing together. I mean, Taylor Townsend, I guess, is it, she's making a go of it in singles again, but, um, you know, not coming through. And it's like, you know, Layla, you got to believe that you can get back here, that you can do this. Like you're 100% capable of winning on this stage. But that dynamic was really interesting. And I thought they had a really good interaction, those two. They're fun to watch. Mm. And Shay and Wong were just too good. Yeah, I mean, I just, it was, I didn't feel like Wong played as big of a role in the victory. I felt like it was very much Shay at net, like just being more solid, just being a little bit craftier. You know, the old old KG veteran. She knows all the tricks. She's won a bunch of slam finals before. Uh, I kind of feel like it was on Layla and Taylor's rackets. And there were too many errors, too many, you know, lobs that didn't go over the top. You know, uh, poor tactical decisions, you know, going cross court the wrong time when you should kind of just be going, you know, like continuing to attack Wong on the baseline or... Um, so, yeah, just the margins weren't that big in the end. Uh, you know, they were in a second set tie break, so they had a chance to to win it there. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it was really mostly about Shea um, in the end. It can be in doubles about one player. Like, obviously, you both have to be solid, but in the mixed doubles final, um, Bianca and Michael were like um right there they lowered they won the first set and they were up a break mm-hmm. in the second set mm. um, yeah they just them in the mix they do the deciding point and the match tie break which i just find really disappointing it just doesn't it feel is. like tennis to me you don't, you don't get no. that push and pull well it's worse than that like so that's that's for the mix in the grand slams but outside of the slams in all the doubles tournaments um it's like that as well. So it's only um, men's and women's doubles in the slams that you get to see true doubles anymore. Yeah. But yeah, just um, it was Kato who played that 
role it sounds like Shay played in the women's final. Um she like she's very she's really little. Um and she just was crouched at the net like a mm. panther, you know, pouncing <laughs> on on it on everything. Um and shifted it. Well, good on her. Yeah. I, I love that that redemption story. It's rare that it, it happens like that. I hope she gets her points and money back. I can't imagine that the French Tennis Federation is going to give in because they seem like the most rigid bunch of assholes around. But it's like, it's just well, not apparently, right. It's not right. You can't. I, I read that you can't appeal a disqualification. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be a special scenario here. Um, she used her victory speech to say, I hope that my appeal will be successful and that yep. I will get my prize money and points. Yep. She repeatedly and then she, called it unjust. And then she also took an Instagram of her with the ball girl and like um, a gift bag. And she says, it's good to see that you are back volunteering as a ball girl at the uh, at the tournament. Ah. And I hope you, yeah, and I hope you like the gift I gave you. And <laughs> she's doing all the things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm poor kid. But, I mean, because also if the kid didn't have that reaction, I don't think any of the other stuff would have happened. Since it was originally a warning. Like if the kid just kind of got stunned and was like, oh, I'm okay. No, there's no. Yeah, or problem. just say, like, oh, sorry, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, unfortunate. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, an in- it's been an interesting tournament for a lot of reasons. We haven't even talked about Schwantek's winning winning right yeah did you get to watch that match that match was actually pretty entertaining and most Schwantek matches are not entertaining I was I was certainly rooting for Mukova uh who's who looked like she was she was getting rolled it was six two three love and it was like ah this is this is what watching Schwantek went on clay is like yep just here I think it was again. six I think it was only a single break in the first set wasn't it six three in the first mm, not sure about that Six two or six three, she anyway. Mukova had only won, like, twenty percent of the games <laughs> halfway through the match. It, yeah. it was it was very one way traffic for a while. Right, right. Um, but she, yeah, I saw some of that match, and I saw um, Mukova starting to play well, and it was close in the end, wasn't it? It went three sets. Yeah, Mukova was up a break twice in the third set, in fact. So she had the like the short lead with the break, you know, it was like three two, four three. Yeah. So she would serve to consolidate and then failed to consolidate. And then she had she had break opportunities to give her a chance to serve for the match and she couldn't convert. So it was really nip and tuck. And um yeah, Mukova's great. She has, she's got that all court game. She's got mm. the attacking style. She can, she can play big. She can, 
throw in the drop shot. She goes to net, you know, like, and Shriantek is, I mean, Shriantek is incredibly solid, but feels much more baseline dominant. Like one thing Mukova was doing to Shriantek was moving her into net and uh, often like taking advantage of her in that situation. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I think you need a player like Mukova to to make a Shriantek match entertaining. So it's not just a very brutal baseline war. Yeah, and people had been talking about like, oh, now women's tennis has like a new big three with Shviontek, Sabalenka, and Rabakina. Mm. And like, they all feel, they're all kind of power players in, in slightly different forms. You know, big serve, heavy ball, you know. There's, there's a ton of skill to go around. I mean, Sabalenka... Mm -hmm. You know, like her her defense doesn't get talked about enough because she's usually just brutalizing people and hitting them off the court. But she stays in rallies and she's gotten a lot mentally tougher. But that was she kind of collapsed against Mukova. Mukova was down five two in the third to Sabalenka, and uh, and managed to come back and win it, you know, taking five straight games, which was mm -hmm. hugely impressive. But was also it was like the old Sabalenka coming back, like the double faults mm -hmm. and the the yips, the, the overhitting. So, um, but yeah, right. I'd like a player like Mukova in the mix helps disrupt that kind of flat, the, the kind of, yeah, like the stylistic similarity, I think between the best players right now. Yeah. There's more like movement from just a purely watching perspective. Your eyes aren't just going left and right. Mm, They're sort yeah. of going in and out and left and right. And mm -hmm. yeah, is and and Mukova's you know a player who I maybe I didn't like naturally gravitate towards because she's pretty quiet. She doesn't give you a lot emotionally on the court, but her game style is pretty interesting and the the way she's able to kind of like her record going into the final. I think she was five and zero against players in the top three in her career right that's an interesting stat yeah often it is the other way like often you, you know like a like casper rude had never beaten a top 10 player at a slam and he's never won a tournament bigger than a 250 and it's like but he's man, number that's all... three in the world i know it's like curious right? finals that's like he must have just had real like very consistent you yeah. know but maybe some lucky runs as well. Just can't be those top guys. So anyway, um, yeah, it was good. And I think Mukova's game translates well to grass. So I think Wimbledon could be interesting with players like Mukova and Jabur kind of, you know, helping disrupt that. Uh, some of those other, some of those players at the top. Mm. I think the, the field's a little bit more open at Wimbledon for, for the women. We'll see. I mean, Rubakina just won it. I think Sabalenka's totally viable on grass. Uh, Shantek's had trouble there, but we'll see. Uh, Jabur looked looked okay in this tournament. I mean, she lost to uh, Beatrice Haddad Mayath. Yeah, who made a semifinal. Right, and was also competitive against Shantek. I mean, she didn't end up taking a set, but she took the second set into a tiebreak and was... I really enjoy watching Haddad Mayath. She... They, 
I think one of the commentators pointed it out and I realized like, yes, this is true. She she's sort of relentlessly positive, like she doesn't get down on herself. She's like even when she's in a rough situation, she's very good at talking herself up, pumping herself up. She brings a lot of energy to the court. And um, yeah, she's good. She hits the tar out of the ball. She's another one of these baseliners, but I feel like she's got more of a like just an energy that I that I take to a little bit more than the big mm. the big three. So to speak. Yeah. So that was the quarterfinals where Jabir lost to Hedad Maya. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, up, and I think it was close as well, wasn't it? It's three three sets. Yeah, when I think Jabir like lost six one in the third. So. Ah uh, yeah. And and had lost a maybe it was a breaker in the second. Like, Hadad Maya had spent, like, twice the amount of time on court as Shriantek when they met, by the time they met. Mm. Like, Shriantek was just went beating everybody in straights, and Hadad Maya was, like, crawling. Out. Like, she played this four-hour match against Cereba Stormo after the incident in the doubles. Mm. Um, which, you know, Cereba Stormo, yeah, maybe not the most aesthetically pleasing watch in terms of uh, the grunt. Like, her grunt's really intense. We've talked about it before. But, like, after the doubles thing, it was like, man, I really want her to, like, yeah, it just became different. I wanted her to lose in a different way. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, she and she and Hedad Maya played an epic. It does seem like Cerebez Tormo gets into some of those, like, epic grinded-out matches. She played one, I think, against Angie Kerber a few years ago that everybody was talking about. It was like a, just a random second-round match that, you know, people got really pumped about. Yeah, especially on Clay, I think. She's a real grinder. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, um, I was happy to see Chiva into the second week and beyond. Um, yeah. Because she's had a couple injuries this year and that's pleasing. It's setting, um, setting her up well for Wimbledon and to be have another crack at a Grand Slam. Yeah, seems like Wimbledon should be her best chance. And I mean, she got to two Slam finals consecutively last year. But yeah, it's just the injuries, I think. Um, so yeah just getting to the quarters here i think was kind of outperforming expectations so hopefully she carries that forward and stays fit hey what did you think about the fashion this year yeah that's a good question you know it's it's again this thing where like the nike stuff dominates and i thought the nike kit was pretty boring like really not not memorable. Yeah. We'd have to look at some images. The Nike kit that sort of had this mint green color um, was different to most of the other colors I saw on court. I, everyone went for the earthy, ochre kind of warm colors hmm. um, to kind of match the clay. Like Adidas was all like orange right. and red, dirt brown. Yeah. But one thing um, I did like was Bidi Badu's rain, like, like faded pastel rainbow colors. Was that the one with the vertical stripes? Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. That was my favorite kit. Yeah. I was I was noticing also, um, you know, Shriantek likes to wear white at, at the mm. French, which is interesting. 
I, I was like, actually, I was paying attention to it when she won the final. I was like, is she going to do the lie down in that white dress? She didn't do the lie down. She liked to crouch. She did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I would have to kind of go through and take a look, but there was very little that really stood out, at least not for positive reasons. Like, I, really, I think the Adidas line just seems to get worse and worse. Like, the thing that Steph was wearing, it's just kind of dissonant and unappealing. Adidas, I think they're missing a trick by not going back to their classic yeah. um, look, because they do that for fashion and stuff. Like, they, they run concurrently their, you know how they have the two different logos? They have the classic logo, which is the more rounded trefoil logo, and then the triangular is the new triangular logo is the new one. They only use the triangular logo kind of modern line for tennis, but they could just as easily do um, you know hark back to their retro uh, classic three stripes did you notice um, Francis TFO's custom kit he had his own kit that was designed by somebody called IDK it had this this like this like abstract square outline on it no, it looked pretty cool I didn't really notice it is that, is that a collaboration with Nike yeah he he almost beat Zverev, didn't he? Oh, I was really rooting. I watched. Yeah, match. they were. It was tight. It was a tight match. I think there were. There was at least one break or maybe two. I think Francis had a lot of chances, and the draw was really open for him. But, um, yeah, he didn't get it done in the end. Oh, I do. I do see that. So it says Freetown. Is that um? Freetown's the capital of Sierra Leone. It's where mm. his dad's from. Yes, you are correct. It is the capital and largest city of Sierra Leone. Um, so it's a nod to his his cultural heritage. Mm. It's just cool to see like a like a a custom kit to somebody who isn't like Novak, Roger, Rafa. Yeah, I like it. And yet. It's like super personalized and it's distinct, you know, it's, it's simple, but also uh, it stands out for being unlike all of the other kits. So it's, it's a good one. Um, yeah, Tiafo, I think he was up a break against, or he had, he was up in mini breaks and a tie breaker as well. And then to, in the fourth set, take Zero to a fifth. Yes, I, that's correct. I, I did. I caught the very end of it. I had to spend five dollars to like at at Peacock, which is like NBC's streaming service, in order to see the end of that match. And as soon as I paid the five dollars and like loaded up the stream, it advanced to the very end with Sasha Zvera holding his arms up in the air. I'm like, yeah, so I went back. I was like, okay, I'll watch the end of the match because I was curious how this went down. And yeah, he got he got up a break, a mini break in the fourth set break, but. Zverev, unfortunately, looking resurgent. We may be headed for the second uh, age of darkness. Um, and you know, there was there was a real near miss on a Zverev Luna semifinal, which you know, it's like darkness and darkness junior over there. Runa has not exactly ingratiated himself to my particular pace. Really unlikable kid. Yeah, I don't you know. just think 
He seems like a brat. Yeah, there's there's an entitlement there. And I feel like people justify it by just saying, like, ah, oh, he's just, you know, he's competitive, he's like got an edge, that's cool. Most tennis players are too polite or whatever, but it just seems shitty. Like they like yeah, like not a general sense of sports personship, you know, like of grace, of like giving it up for his opponent. Like he'll kinda do whatever he needs to do to win and he doesn't really care if his feelings get hurt. Just, you know, start sock puppet accounts to like, you know, get on the tennis tragic Instagram, threaten us with lawsuits. I mean, there's just some kind of negative behavior in there. Yeah. Yes, I feel personally attacked by his <laughs> behavior. And we haven't even discussed his homophobia. This on this. That's case. true. Yeah. It's like right. It's like the worst parts. Like I don't know. I was you know reading posts on the internet people talking shit about Novak Djokovic people hate Novak for reasons that I just I don't know I mean I can understand them right I can understand like I understand people are mad at him about the vaccine stuff or just don't like him he was the interloper he was the third wheel he's not as you know he's not as attractive of a player as Roger or Rafa you know there's all these reasons why it's totally fair to just not like the guy or root against him. But like people act like he's a fucking, he's the devil. Like he's a bad person. And I'm like, I don't know. I look at how he treats the people around him, how he treats his opponents, how he treats the people in his team, in his box. Like he seems, how he treats his kids. His, uh, his son was like constantly with him during this fortnight. You know, there were all these like videos of him, like riding the exercise bike next to his dad. And like, I, I feel like Novak is like actually a genuine mature caring person who happens to have some bad ideas at times but like runa like the way he treats other people and the way like all the homophobic comments are just kind of to that end right he's just he doesn't have the perspective to think like oh what i say may actually affect other people okay yeah that's right i mean i don't love novak's politics like but you know um there's some stuff he said about Kosovo and stuff, how Kosovo should be part of it's the Serbian heartland and it should be, you know, um, brought back into it. So, yeah, there's some Serbian, Serbian nationalism, whatever, um, and the vaccine stuff. And his, his dad's been, like, pro-Putin or whatever. But um, I think you're right. People can have different ideas or or wrong ideas about uh, about political things those things can shift right they potentially can shift through debate and conversation over time but what's harder to shift is like yeah as you're sort of saying the how you treat others and um, your personality and and Novak seems to treat people really well and be a nice person. So I think there's certainly that in his favor, regardless of what ideas, political ideas he has in his head from time to time. Yeah. Like I, I heard a little bit about the Kosovo Serbian political stuff during this fortnight because it came up, but I really have no context there. You know, I mean, that's the thing when you, when you're thinking about this person who you don't actually know, you know, like we, we know him as a, player as a sports person but like 
we don't know how, like what his upbringing was like, what his perspective is on the world, where he got his information, who he learned to trust when coming to maturity and learning how to be a human being in the world. And I think that's part of it. Like we talk sometimes about how he is, you know, maybe part of the reason he's rejected so much in the tennis world is because the tennis world very heavily tilts towards Western Europe and the Eastern Europeans are kind of like, they're different. They're outsiders. The, their cultural attitudes are different. Their politics are different. And so it's hard for me to really criticize something I don't know about so much. Like, I don't know why he believes the things he believes. I could criticize him for not believing the thing I think he should believe. But I, I, if you're not able to have that conversation, I don't know. It just feels like an unfair criticism at a certain point. It's like, I don't know the man. Or, so I just give him a little bit of a pass on that. That's not how I'm going to judge him. Um, and I think I, I appreciate that he is so obviously imperfect in all of these ways, you know, as a human being, like he's made mistakes. He's, you know, he's gotten himself into some shit over the years. And I think that just makes him a more interesting personality, a more interesting character in the drama. So, you know, yeah, like most players won't take a political side on anything. Although we should talk briefly about Ukraine. Yeah, Ukraine and the Russia-Ukraine war and stuff and how that's played out. But just on Djokovic, like, you know, he has sort of a Serbian nationalist position on Kosovo. Like, Mm -hmm. Serbia invaded Kosovo in, in my opinion, have been the aggressors um, in in the war and whilst there might be some Serbian nationals still living in Kosovo, there's enough of uh, a Kosovar identity and need to be independent from Serbia. And it's not to say that I don't think there could be one state in the same way like Israel and Palestine could be one state. But, like, it can't be coming from a... Uh, like a military or dominating Serbian state position. You have to be like coming from the people. Anyway, it's, it's mm. fine. Like he's obviously, his upbringing has led him to believe that, you know, that Kosovo should be part of Serbia. But with the Ukraine-Russia war, like uh, players being booed for not shaking hands at the end of the matches. Yeah. Um, which has been interesting. Yeah, it seems like the crowds are not really very clued in to what's going on. And But then it also, it's like, how do you know what they're booing? They could be booing the Russian for, you know, who do they blame for not shaking hands in a lot of cases? You know, I think it was uh, Marta Kostyuk who played Sabalenka in the first round, Ukrainian versus Belarusian. And Kostyuk has been like one of the most outspoken on tour about saying like the Russians shouldn't even be playing like, you know, it's just like pretty hostile um, and, uh, you know, doesn't want them, doesn't want them there. And like has just said, she's not going to shake hands. I, I saw her in the final of the Austin event this year against a Russian and same thing went down. No handshake. 
the crowd in Austin was just a little baffled. But yeah, in France, for some reason, they seem to be like offended that they don't get their display of, of sports sports personship. It's interesting. Yeah. Who did um, Svitolina lose to? She lost to... Uh, she lost to Sabalenka. <laughs> Sabalenka seemed to like be like murdering Ukrainians left and right personally. And then I think that the really interesting thing with Sabalenka was that she got, she had a, like a, I don't know if it was a Ukrainian journalist. Somebody really cornered her in a press conference and was like, why oh, will yeah. you not denounce the war? Why will you not like speak out against the president of Belarus who you've been seen, you've been photographed with so on and so forth. And I, that's where I, I like get to this point where I'm like, I, some some of the players are just better at handling that. Like I, people talk about Medvedev and how he doesn't say anything, but he says plenty. So he, he knows how to like kind of deflect and just kind of talk around it and not actually make a statement about the war. And so people leave him alone. Whereas Sabalenka seems to get like personally offended and is just like, I don't have to answer you. But the problem is when you start to like corner somebody like that, it gets into the territory of compelled speech. You know, it's like this whole room of, press sports press people are like demanding that you take a stand that's in agreement mm -hmm. with them and yes. so so even when Sabalenka finally came back and just denounced the war she talked she denounced her president does anybody believe her because it was all it was all the results of this pressure from from the press so it's not clear that it was actually speech that was provided freely I think that's interesting <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes there's, um, I mean, like it has to be said that these players shouldn't be blamed for the crimes of their governments and militaries. Like, especially in Russia, there's no democracy, like plenty of people opposing the war, but then getting arrested for attending a protest and stuff like that. So, um, right. What can these players really do in some cases you're really fearing for speaking out because you know it might have yeah. bad consequences for you or your family but i thought it would have been you know even even i think cassett keener from russia had like right spoken she up against the Svitolina. war yeah spoken up against the war but svitolina wouldn't shake her hand at the end they gave each other a thumbs up and that was because I mm. think Svitolina's made this kind of point of like, I'm just out of respect for my country. I'm not going to be shaking any Russian or Belarusian players' hands. But it's a shame because I think, how do you end wars? You know, it's people on both sides going, no, we don't want the mm. war. We're not in favor of our governments continuing the war. So that in that case, in census, a handshake with Kasakina, who's against the war, could like, hello, kitty cat. <laughs> bagel. That's bagel. Somebody else. Sweet um, little bagel. <laughs> Schwantek had three of you in the first two rounds this tournament. <laughs> yeah. Bagel's favorite um, player. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they could have sh they could have shaken hands. Yeah, I I like that you 
feel that way about it. I, I, I've always found sports to be fascinating for the way that politics, geopolitics can be examined through the lens of this competition, which is ultimately meaningless against like the real life or death struggles that people are facing. And yet, you know, athletes can decide to, you know, to use their platform to, to speak out for an issue. And I, you know, something like, um, like the Olympics, I think I, I, from a young age, I was always fascinated with the idea. Like I, you know, I grew up in the eighties, so it was like, it was cold war time. And I remember like, you know, Russia boycotting the 84 Olympics in the U S and, you know, like the, these political issues come to the, to the forefront, you know, like a groups of countries can kind of get together and like, um, you know, express their displeasure with one another. But in the end, you end up having this competition with, that is just human beings from different places and different backgrounds. And you can put aside those differences and just play a game together. And I feel like there's something in that that, I don't know, there's, there's like a, there's a capacity to transcend the, you know, the like broader political craziness because you just get down to it and we're just people in the end. Right, people that wouldn't have chosen war if it wasn't for like the the drive that their own governments, economies, you know, for polit geopolitical reasons and economic reasons, had decided to drag their country into war. Yeah, and you see, you see, actually, sport as a great coming together, like interesting times, like in the First World War. Maybe it's the Second World War. There's a famous example of allies and Axis soldiers playing soccer on the during a ceasefire or something, playing mm. soccer together and embracing and sharing food and and that's what we would do um, if we sort of had a different political system in mm. in place. I think we'd be more, you know, cooperating and sharing. And I'm sure, yeah, when it comes down to it, the Russian and Ukrainian soldiers that are would much prefer to be, yeah, um sharing a drink in the pub and killing each other. Yeah. And it's also it's a, you know, I'm saying how it's difficult for me to really you know, to understand what it must be like to be to have Novak Djokovic's perspective on politics. It's like to imagine what the Ukrainian players must be feeling right now, their country being attacked by this global superpower and being invaded, their families at risk, their their homeland being torn apart by war. It's, I, I can't even, I can, you know, I can imagine it, but I, I feel like there's something missing there because it's not real for me. I don't have that personal connection. So I can't deny the reasons that they would be mad about it, that they would be furious, that they wouldn't want to, that they would want to make a statement, even if it's a small one, just like a, a dismissal. But you're right. I would hope for, for more, for like a, a desire for the players from both sides to just, to, yeah, to just get together and shake hands and be pleasant. I don't know. Maybe that's my own desire to just kind of ignore the whole thing. And it's not ignorable for those people. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think just the recognition that we've we've got something common in common as regular people and 
we have a mutual interest in um, the anti-war movement rather than seeing the way forward as uh, partisan kind of right. politics and like nationalist politics and our our country has to to beat back the other country or we we are fundamentally different we have different values we need to resolve them through war yeah i think the, the one of the main things that makes this so difficult in the in the russia ukraine case is what you said earlier which is that russian people do not have the freedom to speak openly so mm. whatever they feel they are they're basically because of their government they are not they're not able to even take that step in many cases you know somebody like kasakina yeah. i mean she's a she's an openly gay woman from russia i mean her her entire existence is under threat from her from her government government i don't know i i assume she just doesn't live in russia maybe doesn't have family in russia anymore but that's extremely uncommon for somebody to take that that stand publicly or to be openly mm. gay from russia you just don't see it Medvedev's come out against the war, hasn't he? I don't think so. Rublev. Oh, Rublev. Maybe I'm thinking. Did of. the like no war please thing oh, yeah. on the glass? You kind of get a sense for what he feels, but I don't know if he's like publicly denounced it or tried to speak out against it. You know, they're they're all capable of kind of walking a line. All I think a lot of those guys, you know, the the Russian men, I think they all live in Dubai or Monte Carlo or something. You know, they don't. They're way more like kind of international citizens of the world rather than yeah, like yeah, and they've got access to um, a lot more different perspectives. So if you're in Russia, you're getting a lot of there's a lot of media restrictions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's different when you're in that place. You know, they have they have the privilege of wealth. They, they're all they have net worths and the eight figures, you know, that they, they can live wherever they want. They they have a different they're able to access the those other perspectives. But, you know, like a player like Marta Kostyuk, who's probably in her career won, you know, under a million dollars, you know, it's it's probably I mean, she's doing, you know, she's on the up, but like there's a little bit more of a struggle for some of the lower rank players in these situations. You know, it's, it's not so straightforward. Mm. The tennis tragic. Thanks you for listening. All correspondence and feedback can be directed to tennis tragic pod at gmail.com. And our Instagram is at tennis tragic pod.